Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome. Today, our theme is finding your audience, really connecting and resonating with the people who believe in your mission, the whole package and not just a part of what your company does. We are joined by Roshna Govani, CEO and co-founder of Foodstand. Foodstand helps people stop dieting and get healthy once and for all. Their behavior change platform via mobile app takes people through bite-sized challenges designed to turn healthy eating into an everyday habit, such as quitting soda, eating five fruits and veggies a day, cutting out sugar at breakfast, etc. Their app for individuals is free, so go check it out. It's at foodstand.com forward slash download. But they also have a paid program for workplaces and schools. They are a seed stage company. They have raised a pre-seed round and now are in another seed round. We can talk about that a little bit more. And they've had some really great successes with the product and are in the process of commercializing it. Roshna has spent her career building products around behavior change. And she's going to tell us a little bit about what really drove her to found this company and particularly her own family's struggles. And she lives in Detroit with her partner and her soon to be little one. Congratulations on that, Roshna. Thank you. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about how you started the company and really what was driving that. Uh, Well, first, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to to chat with you all and with your audience. the story behind Food Stand is a little bit different from your typical startup founder who, you know, had a, a pressing problem in their day and just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, mine was more of uh, of a look at what the what was going on in the market and in my own life and figuring out how I can make a difference. Um, so I spent most of my career building products around consumer behavior change uh, and. As I was doing that, I realized I was using my skills and my expertise in areas that were not actually affecting my own life. Um, most of my family actually has some experience, um, good and bad, with diet-related disease, and I realized a lot of what I had learned and what I had practiced around consumer behavior change could also be applied to this problem. So I actually joined uh, via a corporate incubator um, and had the opportunity to work with a number of experts and uh, and folks within the industry to to really incubate not only the idea of what food stand turned into, but more importantly, understand the problem in the market, uh, so we could really solve for the right problem and come up with a solution that really delivered um, value to our end users. So we started within a corporate incubator, tested a bunch of ideas as we were learning, and then ultimately identified the most uh, the, the best one for the problem that we wanted to address and then spun out and rolled that out as a product. So not your typical story, but I think an important one because we did have in many ways the luxury of, of time and insight uh, to make sure we're, we're solving something that the market really needed. Hi, and this is Zena. I wanted to ask you a few questions around that. First of all, you said you looked at what was going on in the market and also personally. Can you kind of do a deep dive into that, especially on the personal level? Absolutely. So um, I'll actually start with with the personal story, and then I'll tell you how that informed our understanding of the landscape. So diet-related disease is something that I think most of us 
have some personal experience with, whether it's diabetes, heart disease, uh, and so on. It's whether, it might be somebody in your family. It might be yourself. And what we learned from, what I learned from my own experience is that you could educate somebody till the cows came home. You could point them in the right direction. You could hand them a PDF. You could tell them the right thing to do. But ultimately, lifestyle diseases are driven by lifestyle choices, which are actually habits. And changing a habit is, is quite difficult, and it takes a very different approach from just sort of handing somebody a prescription for a pill or handing them a document of some information. I saw this in my own family where we had you know, plenty of, of educated people with resources continuing to make the wrong decisions for their own lifestyle, and ultimately um, we've, we've seen some of them kind of go down the path of no return, um, which, is, which is heartbreaking for me, and I knew that I wasn't the only one experiencing that. Um, so I realized that within my own family, habit modification was really the key to solving our lifestyle disease problem. Then when I started looking at the market, so this landscape of you know, wellness solutions and people who are trying to solve this problem, what we realized is that the current approach is quite antiquated in the market. So the way people have historically tried to solve for chronic disease is one of two things. Either one is they're treating just the symptoms. You know, you, you get to a point where you're already diabetic, you go to your doctor, they give you a prescription, and then you're sort of in this cycle of, of lifestyle disease and, and managing with, with meds. The alternative is if, you, if you're not there yet, you go down this path of classic dieting. And the classic diet, which is sort of what we've been doing for decades, is based on these faulty principles, like all calories are created equal, or this promise that if you change something in your life for you know, 15 to 20 days, if you do a cleanse, everything will be fixed. And we've seen this time and time again, that people get stuck in the pattern of yo-yo dieting, and they're not actually making changes that are going to improve their life long-term. So I saw this happening in my family, and then when we looked at the market, we realized this is happening across the board, and it's because people are not taking a behavior change approach to lifestyle diseases. And so that's really where we wanted to come up with a solution that not only was innovative in the market, but then was also palatable for our audience, right? We, we didn't want to be yet another judgmental program that's going to make you feel bad about your choices. We wanted to really um, inspire progress on a day-to-day basis so that people stick with these changes um, long-term. That sounds very interesting because um, my background's in public health, as you know. Uh, we've had mm-hmm. a discussion before, and one of the campaigns I worked on, uh, and was a behavior change type of campaign, was called a, a Healthy Baby Begins With You. And yep. uh, it was an infant mortality, you know, trying to save African-American babies, and it featured Tanya Lewis Lee who who is you know famous in her own right, but she's really known uh, for to be um, Spike Lee's wife. So mm-hmm. um, we were trying to change the behaviors of African American women of childbearing years uh, mm-hmm. and, um, to change their behavior, and so we can try to decrease the infant mortality rate. Let's talk about a little bit more about what it what does it mean to be a behavior change product. So there are, there are various principles um, around behavior change that are very well researched and documented that we know um, really drive lasting change. And many of them are actually quite different from what we might see in a typical diet or wellness program. Um, One of the most important things around behavior change is that it's really important not to bite off more than you can chew. And I I guess pun intended if we're talking about food. Um, Oftentimes, people think that the best thing to do is, you know, January 1st, let's change everything, let's, let's dump everything from our fridge, let's cut out this and cut out that, and they, and they get very excited for the first couple of days, and, the, and then that breeds an all-or-nothing mentality. What happens then is that if you, if you slip up on one of the 10 things trying to change, then it's very easy for you to fall off track and say, well, you know, I didn't do this one thing, so screw it. I'm not going to do any of it. So the first issue, the first principle is around keeping your goals and the, the thing you want to change very small 
very achievable and very short-term. So in the case of food stands, we don't tell somebody on day one, you know, you're going to never eat added sugar again. We really focus on giving them a short-term achievable goal. That goal could be something as simple as tomorrow morning, do not have anything that has added sugar, just a breakfast. Do whatever else you want the rest of the day, but we're just going to focus on breakfast. So small goals that are achievable, short-term is number one. The second principle around behavior change is we want to keep things very positive. Positive reinforcement is is the most important thing, um, especially compared to what maybe we've seen in the past. There's this, this concept of punishment mentality. People beat themselves up when they do the wrong thing. There is no punishment on food stands. Um, you're basically only getting positive reinforcement as you're doing the right thing so that you never have a negative association with that particular behavior. Uh, and one of the third important principles, and this third of, of probably dozens, is that it, it's very important to have an accountability system that is beyond yourself. We know that people are motivated to make changes on their own, but they're, very, they're not as good at and being accountable just to their own promises that you make. How many times have, have you done this, and I've done this a number of times, where I've said, you know, starting tomorrow, I'm not going to check Twitter for more than 10 minutes. I don't tell anybody that. If I check Twitter for 11 minutes, nothing's going to happen to me. But if we bring in other people, other people that we care about into that journey with us, then we have that accountability system that will really help us keep up with those changes on a daily basis. So the way we've translated that into the food stand platform is we've built a buddy system. So if you're doing this as an individual, you can assign friends and family members who are, who are basically like your, your, your accountability friend. Who's, they're going to get updates on your progress. They can nudge you if you're having some trouble. They can celebrate you when you've crossed certain milestones and so on. Um, and so building in that accountability system that is multi-layer, that is social, that includes people that are friends and family that you trust and that you really turn to for support is super critical when we're thinking about behavior change. Um, so those are, those are three of the important principles that we've applied, but there's dozens of other things that, um, uh, that have gone into not only the design of a platform like food stand, but you know other behavior change interventions like probably the one that you all did around infant mortality in the African-American community. So let's um, just be really clear for our audience what it means to be a behavior change product. So you've mm-hmm. kind of laid out for us what that looks like in food stand, but do you want to give us a uh, definition of what a behavior change product is? so that the audience can understand that and maybe give us a couple examples. Sure. Um, so th- this is definitely the Russian definition. It's probably not a textbook definition. Um, but the way I see behavior change products um, is that basically it's any, it's any product or service that implements known evidence-based behavior change principles to help people modify some behavior in their life according to those principles. So that could be everything from how do you quit smoking to how do you become a better reader to how do you learn a language, how do you improve your eating habits. So there are a number of different behavior change products that are out there, some of which you know, you're know you familiar with but probably don't think of them as behavior change or behavior modification solutions. So one of the most popular um, is Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a 12-step program. It is social in nature. You have that community feel of all these folks that are coming together on a daily basis or on a weekly basis to, to meet with you. You have a small, measurable goals that, um, you know, with each step uh, that are part of the process to help you transition from your current state of behavior to a future set of behaviors. And so Alcohol is Synonymous is a great example. Um, there's another app that um, implements a lot of behavior change principles. Um, but uses learning as the kind of mechanism. Um, and that is Duolingo, if you're familiar with that app. It's around language learning. They have a lot of the same behavior change principles. Um, and and the, the premise behind something like Duolingo is you're not going to sit and become a Spanish expert on day one. You're going to take this one day at a time. You're going to learn and bite in sort of bite-sized pieces. You're going to get celebrations as you're, doing, as you're progressing and so on. So um, I think there's plenty of these examples out in the market. Um, you may not hear them 
or hear them being described as a behavior change product, but they are built and designed with many of those same principles to ensure somebody is able to transition from their current state of behavior to some future set of state of behaviors, and that's what they're trying to achieve. So, Rashna, this is Christina, and I, I want to pause and reemphasize something you said earlier uh, around food stand. Accountability and community is so important, I think, to the success of what you're doing. Uh, and your value, yeah. your value proposition is so interesting to me on, on a few levels. Uh, the first is the alignment to industry trends. I am a firm believer that digital health and digital therapeutics will continue to trend towards behavior modification, as you mentioned, and then mm -hmm. evidence-based outcomes, right? And so part of this, mm -hmm. it leads me to my second, is around the potential for the data that you're collecting and metrics that you're collecting to provide insight, trends, behaviors, and outcomes, not just to your users, but to mm -hmm. teams, organizations, and other people that are in the ecosystem. Because uh, at the end of the day, you're creating value across your ecosystem. And I think you're in an interesting landscape with insurance companies, grocery stores, uh, again, organizations, and really looking at what value you're providing to your customer partners and investors. Uh, I think, I, I don't know if we were talking or I saw it on your website, but uh, the data you collected so far, almost 80% of your existing users thought that food stand was more effective than other traditional diets. and. Uh, services and, and products. So I just want to talk a little bit more around that and how you develop a value proposition and buy-in for your customers. Uh, and, and what does that look like for, for Foodstand? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. So um, what, I, what I'll say first and foremost is that we, we are 100% an evidence-based program. We are not a fad diet. We are not the next you're going to see on some wellness blog that then disappears next day. Um, so we've designed using other people's evidence. The evidence that we've used includes research around not only behavior modification, but specifically what behaviors will lead to the outcomes that we think, you know, that are tied to prevention of chronic disease. So the, the thing that we are, when we think about data that is already out in the market, the thing that doesn't necessarily need to prove is that if you stop drinking soda and replace that with water, you will be healthy. Somebody else has sort of done that work for us, and we continue to rely on that. The data that we collect, first and foremost, is around participation and, and engagement with these different behaviors. So can I help somebody transition from being a five-soda-a-week drinker to a zero-soda-a-week drinker or a one-soda-a-week drinker? That is the primary set of data that we collect. And then what we do once we have that data is extrapolate some additional insights about what that impact could be around biometric markers, cost savings, and so on. What we also do is actually talk to our members on a daily basis to understand, are you making changes? Is this helping you in any way, shape, or form? So you're absolutely right. Um, almost 80% of the, the members that we surveyed have said that food stand is more effective than any self-service, quote-unquote, get healthy solution they might have tried on the market. And I think it's really because we've taken this completely different approach to achieving somebody's wellness goals or nutrition goals. And it is bite-sized. It is focused. It is not all or nothing. Um, so not only have we seen that, but then when we went and asked folks, you know, well, what does that actually look like? Have you, you know, have you improved any... Um, biometric markers that you care about. Have you lost any weight? Um, we don't bill ourselves as a weight loss program, but we do know that um, of the folks that do come to food stands, specifically because they're trying to lose weight, they do see really strong results. Um, almost 60% of those who came to food stands specifically to lose weight reported losing 10 pounds or more. So going back, going to your sort of second part of your question about getting buy-in and how, um, you know, how does this data really help drive um, our ability to continue to grow with all these different stakeholders in the market. Um, it's really critical for us to, to first and foremost continue to be evidence-based. That is both in the design of our product and in the data that we're capturing so that when we, when we report the potential value that we have to offer, it's rooted in actual information, actual data that um, that is based on what our members have been experiencing. Um, the, the second thing that we want to do is continue to understand how these changes in behavior lead to those downstream impacts. So 
cost savings for insurance companies and grocery stores and, and whatnot. Um, so what we're doing in the future, in the sort of short-term future, is starting to work with those organizations to understand, okay, if we have this existing population, if we know that they're making all these lifestyle changes, and if we know for sure these are the biometric changes that are occurring on the back end, if they're losing weight, if they're improving their A1C levels and so on, let's turn that into actual dollar value. How does this impact your bottom line? Because at the end of the day, we are a business. Those organizations are businesses. And as much as we deeply care about public health, we know we're operating in an environment where the return on the investment is still going to be part of the discussion. So we're now at the point where we're, we're forecasting what that's going to be. Um, and we have a really solid case um, because we have really solid data based on how our product is structured. So you've talked a little bit about what it means to get buy-in from your users, right? So when they've got um, effective outcomes and they're sharing it and they've got engagement and so forth, and maybe they even bring it to their employers. And then what it means to get buy-in from your customers, which, you know, really impacts them and kind of they can see what the results are on their bottom line, as you mentioned. Talk about Mm -hmm. what it means to be to have buy-in or what you would like to see from potential investors to really be, you know, those raving fans that we want on every level? Yeah, so I think getting getting buy-in from an investor, um, and, and I'm speaking just from my experience as a first-time entrepreneur, um, I think it's, it's a unique position to be a first-time entrepreneur because you do have to build a lot of credibility very quickly. Um, with the investor community, I think if this were my like third rodeo, it would be a different ballgame. Um, so first and foremost, it's really about building credibility. And one of the ways that we've been able to do that thus far is continuing to surround ourselves with people who, who really round out, quote unquote, expertise in this field. If I'm not the person who has everything that is required to make this particular initiative successful. So We've worked with a number of public health institutions to just design this product um, to ensure the content is correct, to ensure that we are, you know, quote unquote, certified by X, Y, and Z. Um, that helps us cut the clutter in the investor in, with the investor community so that they know that we're not just any old app that hit the market, that has a cute idea, that this is truly rooted in the, the latest and most impactful evidence on how we're going to make lasting changes. Um, I think that's first. Um, the second, uh, the second thing that we we know that we need to provide to investors to get buy-in from them and get them very excited is results. Right at the end of the day, and ideas are a dime a dozen. If we're able to execute on this idea, if we're able to prove that we can do the thing that we've said we want to do in any way, shape, or form, then that means a, a lot. So that's why we've also spent um, a, a good amount of time launching pilots with organizations, getting the exact feedback, collecting the data, so then when I walk into an investor, I can say, like, yeah, this is an amazing idea. Yeah, you love what we're doing, but I have the, I have the evidence to back it up that we've already done it. Um, so I think our ability to execute very quickly has been helpful for us to kind of um, – get the buy-in we need from the investor community. But then to, your, to the second part of your question, how do we, you know, what's the value for this sort of raving fan investor for us? We are a young, we are a seed stage company, and there are a lot of us. And so having an investor that is bought into not only our vision, but our ability to execute gives us an opportunity to grow much more quickly because investors have different relations, relationships than entrepreneurs do. They have, you know, big corporate partnerships, or they have access to additional capital. Um, so, for us, getting that buy-in not only is like great because then money is at the end of that rainbow, but more importantly, the relationships are at the end of that rainbow. And um, so, we really want to convert our investors into true evangelists, who are going to help us grow this business because this is, especially with digital health and public health, this is not selling widgets to people. It's a much more complex problem and requires a much more nuanced solution. So it is a little bit harder um, than I think maybe brick and mortar or, you know, this is obviously my perspective. So, um, but, but I think it is a more complex thing. So having investors that are raving fans of ours 
um, will help us unlock the doors we need to unlock in order to move much more quickly and generate the impact we want to see in the world. So let's, let's uh, talk about the, your stakeholders. Your, you mentioned the investors, your stakeholders. So why has it been difficult for you to get this buy-in from the different um, stakeholders in, in, in this area? So I think it's important to just articulate the, the types of stakeholders mm -hmm. um, that we want to engage with. So obviously we have our customers who are these end users. We have our, our current people who pay us, so these are workplaces and schools, um, and then we have the, the kind of uh, ecosystem of additional stakeholders that influence our ability to do our work. So, you know, insurance companies, healthcare institutions, <laughs> and other folks that are involved in public health. Um, I think those first two, we have direct control over. We have direct control over our relationship with our customer. We have direct control over how we're able to sell to small businesses and to schools because we're doing all that work ourselves. But when we think about systematic change, like getting people to get a discount on their insurance premiums because they are eating healthier, that is a systematic issue that requires not only you know my good idea of coming in and saying that we should do this, but lots and lots of changes across the board that... Um, that are rooted in a system that I think um, has a, a, a web of incentives that are really complicated to navigate. So I think when we think about those systematic stakeholders, like the payers, um, the healthcare industry, um, there are a lot of people who are trying to stress those, um, those stakeholders in different directions because there are so many conflicting incentives set up there. And it's also a very complicated system. Um, so, you know, we have a vision of what we think should happen um, with each one of those, like that example of, you know, do you, do you pay less in health insurance costs if you are eating healthier? Um, sounds amazing. That's the goal that, you know, that's one of the goals we have. But in order for us to get there, um, we, need, we need to do all this work first. We need to prove that our program works. We need to prove exactly how much it works and what that downstream impact is. And then we have the leverage to walk into that much larger um, stakeholder and say, hey, this is, this is our track record. Now let's talk about some of these big vision things like um, you save money if you eat healthy. Now, <clears throat> so, Roshna, this is Christina again, and I'm just going back to the discussion on the ecosystem and, and data. And it's clear that you've thought through where you think food stand fits in within the ecosystem. But I, as you were talking, I was reminded of you know, every year I do a master cleanse, and uh, I think the grocery stores actually have collected data and they know when this happens each year. And so they've made it easy, particularly Whole Foods uh, in this case. And at certain times of the year, you can go in and they have a kiosk that's set, set up with lemons and you know, everything that you need for, for the master cleanse. And as I think about food stand and as you're talking, it's imp it's, I see food stand as an important driver to culture change. Uh, and, a, and a good utility platform uh, that is it part of the ecosystem. You mean, again, you talked about public health uh, companies. You talked about insurance companies. You didn't talk about grocery stores, but I'm adding that as part of your uh, potential ecosystem. And I'm wondering, you know, you're, you're collecting data. Have you sat down and actually physically drawn out a picture of the ecosystem and where you think the handoffs are from data that you've collected, you know, consumer data that, um, you know, drives a consumer play, but then where that data you might hand off to, again, uh, someone else in the ecosystem to help drive a culture change. You talked about lasting changes in the individual. You talked about providing uh, results and data for your investor. Now I'm asking a question around you know, how you really see food stand making that uh, utility play in terms of driving change in culture. So we definitely drew all this out <laughs> at the beginning. Um, I have this um, horribly complex web of, um, of not only the, the levers of power in this ecosystem, but also where the money is flowing and therefore where the incentives can flow. Um, to your point about cultural change, uh, we definitely see our role as part of the demand side of the equation. So when I think about the landscape and, and this ecosystem of, you know, how are we going to change the culture around nutrition and healthy eating, 
you have people, this is sort of oversimplifying it, but you have organizations that are improving the supply of food. They're growing healthier food. They're making it more affordable and so on. And then you have folks that are, that are addressing the fact that we need to change the demand from the consumer. How do we get the consumer to put down the, Dor- the Doritos and grab an apple instead so that the, the newly supplied apple that's more affordable actually gets purchased and doesn't end up in the trash? So we see ourselves as affecting the demand side of the equation. We know people are in, have very strong intentions to be healthier eaters. It's something like 70% of people in this country are, are actively attempting to eat healthier on a daily basis. So that is there. But our goal is to, is to convert that intention of eating healthier into action. So in the grand scheme of the ecosystem, we see ourselves as demand activators in many ways. Um, to your point about the the data that we can provide to enhance the or or further activate this cultural change, one of the things that we you know in a micro example that we would want to do is to say like if we're in a particular community, let's say it's a low income community that is trying to um, improve the the supply of fresh fruits and vegetables at a bodega. If that supply is getting improved, our, we see our program as the demand side of that. How do we get that community to get super excited about eating fresh fruits and vegetables so that the supply of new fresh fruits and vegetables at the local bodegas are actually getting purchased on a daily basis? That's because there is this program that's getting people to walk in the door and buy the stuff every single day. Um, so that not only do we provide a mechanism by which we can kind of further activate cultural change, but we also provide the data on the back end to say, like, here's how many people are going to be participating. Here's what they're doing on a daily basis. Here's how that can translate into sales for you. So, it, again, just to recap, sort of in the landscape of, of, of change makers in this ecosystem, there, I see it as their kind of supply-side interventions and their demand-side interventions. We definitely see ourselves as addressing the demand side. So you've talked a little bit about kind of really proving that it works, proving your results and so forth. And in the context of really, really finding those, those champions, those evangelists, those raving fans that we've been talking about, what other strategies have you employed to date? I mean, obviously you've got great results. Tell us about, you know, what you've done to tout those results or leverage the press that you've received. What kinds of things have you done to use the the data and the other materials you have to really engage people as those raving fans, if you will. Yeah, so I'll I'll say we've tried a lot of things. Um, (laughs) So these are not all things that have necessarily been successful, but that's, you know, failing forward is part of the entrepreneurship journey. Um, So I'll I'll share a couple of them um, that have have been both successful and maybe not as successful yet. So um, talking about the results themselves for us as a new company is, is one of the most important things we can do because that's how we set ourselves up, how we set ourselves apart from not only the competition, but also get some very clear visibility that like, this is the thing that works and we're really focused on impact as opposed to just like another cute thing that you can do. Um, so we definitely lead with our results. Um, the second thing that we do is we rely on these, you know, these credibility partners that we have, these folks that we've worked with in, in, pub, in the public health institutions who, are, who have a lot more clout in the market than we do. Um, they offer that sort of soft sense of credibility that we need in order to generate the excitement from, from folks downstream. Um, and then the third thing that we've done beyond just the, you know, the hard data, the numbers, is we actually rely on our member stories. Um, at the end of the day, you know, yes, we are a platform. Yes, we are trying to affect millions and millions of people. But Within that, we have individual stories of people making dramatic changes in their lives, and that's a really big deal to them. We have, you know, a woman who has been using the platform for, I think, like six or seven months now. She's lost lost 25 pounds. She's gone through having two babies while being, uh, or like having her second child while also being on the platform, and she's kind of completely changed her entire philosophy around food. This is one story of one person, but that story actually resonates much more with an individual or much more with, you know, an institution than me just telling you, you know, you know, half our members lost 10 pounds or more. That's great. 
Um, so I think the third thing that we really do to generate more raving fans of our work is to let our existing fans speak for themselves and not, you know, put words in their mouth, just let them tell their story. Um, a couple of things that we have tried that maybe haven't been as successful or we're still trying to figure out how to do, um, you know, how to do this more effectively is um, when we think about this concept of getting press recognition, getting a writer to write about us. I think the wellness media industry is, um, there's so much of it. Uh, there is a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of crummy stuff. Uh, and finding out exactly how to navigate that environment so that we are, we're getting in the right places, but we're not getting lumped together with a lot of the stuff that we think is questionable. Um, that definitely has been something that we've, we've attempted to do, and I don't know if we've been super successful at doing that, but it is something that we, we continue to think about because we know that um, there are other people that have bigger megaphones that we do, and we want to leverage them, um, but we need to do so in a way that continues to allow us to differentiate on our terms. Yeah. This is what I suggest in terms of the, how the leverage the press, and that's great. You, you have been getting great press. I think you should use some of the customers that you're working with and also mm -hmm. you talk about the the payers in the market like insurers um maybe get them to talk about you instead so yeah. and and incorporate um them into the story somehow sometimes the the customer or the partners you're working with they can be your best megaphones and they can get out there and help tell your story. So, and that will separate you from all of the wellness stories that are out there. And you're right, there's so many of them. And, but when there's someone actually out there stating, you know, this actually works, food stand works, and here's why. And you have these different stakeholders talking about it, especially in the public health, health sector. That's a great idea. I know we definitely, um, we have a lot of incredible stories from our existing clients and our existing members, and we should, we should activate those as opposed to trying to do it all ourselves. <laughs> One of the other things that we had talked about, you know, as we were having um, prior discussions was that you have a couple different ways that you present yourselves as you, yourself as a company, right? Food stand both as a public health technology company and also as a digital health change behavior company. And both of those are true. And both of mm -hmm. those, you know, work in different contexts. And to the extent you're really trying to gather around you a cadre of people who are really bought in, it's important also to have messaging consistency and to really figure out how you want to craft that message and tell that story so that you can bring people along with you as you're growing and developing. So for myself as a professional marketer, right, we're always trying to figure out who are those ideal clients and mm -hmm. how do you then really connect with them and then leverage all of the, the, all of the energy that they have for your product, right? So in your case, yeah. you've got these folks who are, have great stories and then how do you kind of leverage those like Zena just talked about to, you know, either sing your praises for you or whatever. And it's also really up to you, and I'm sure you've been working on this, and you guys already have a great story, but really to kind of own who you want to be and who you want to grow into and have that, that messaging consistency so that you, as you're going forward, you can really build on that. Because um, that that, if you're not consistently saying to people what you want and where you want to be, then, then you're going to, you know, edit out the people who would have otherwise raised their hand and said, hey, we want to be involved with you. And that can be a tough thing. I, and, I, and I totally understand that, particularly as you're going through fundraising. You know, how do you read your audience? How do you say the right thing at the right time? And, um, you know, really important to kind of choose where you want to go and just really own that. From my from my standpoint, yeah, and I'll <clears throat> I'll add to that. Um, I think as business owners, sometimes we we think about where we fit in the industry today, and we don't take a lot of time to anticipate the innovations of tomorrow or where we can fit in the innovation of tomorrow. And again, I kind of go back to you know Amazon. Who would have thought that they would have been in the grocery delivery um, area? And so for you, you know, in addition to what Zena and Aurelia have said, one of the things I would also you know think more about is your partnerships with other data-driven companies 
and you know ask questions you know things that you mentioned had made me think about how can you use your social accountability program to drive rewards points as an organization a company um, and what additional incentives or benefits can a company provide to their employees based on the trends that you've collected with food stand and demonstrated through results and, and um, reporting and so just really think about that um, i think you again i look at you as a, a, a utility player kind of in this ecosystem and I would agree with making sure your message is consistent uh, because you, what you're going to provide will be consistent across the board. Um, so continue to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would say, um, so I guess the way I'll answer this is um, we, we've always been focused on a consistent problem and a consistent customer, and we've always had a consistent vision of the world that we want to create regardless of who we're talking to, whether it's the person at the grocery store next to us or an investor or a potential partner. And that world that we want to create is one where healthy lifestyle choices become your default instead of the exception. And everything that we do filters down from that. Um, to your point about us kind of delineating ourselves between a digital health company versus a public health tech company, um, these are these are. I see them as semantic sort of labels, depending on who the audience is that we're talking to, so they understand where to place us in their minds. Um, but in terms of the world we want to create, the problem we're solving for, the customer we're solving for, and how we solve it, those things are, they, they are consistent through and through um, in anything, in, in any of our communication and any time we talk to somebody. Um, that being said, obviously, when you're talking to, uh, you know, a small business like a 200-person law firm versus a giant, um, you know, a giant organization like a large car company that has 10,000 or 30,000 employees, the way we sell it, the way we talk about that value that we bring to the table is going to be different because at the end of the day, we don't, you know... We want our customers to understand that there is unique value for them in um, in working with us. And we're talking about our kind of paid version of our program. So we definitely have um, – we didn't start out this way. It definitely took a lot of work to really kind of nail down exactly how we want to communicate our vision, our value, and how we work. Um, but we've come up with a pretty consistent way that we do that. And then what we're doing downstream is just sort of tailoring – to ensure the folks on the other side, we want to meet them where they are to make sure that they understand how to place us in their own kind of landscape that they've generated in their mind. Um, and I would say this is this is definitely a work in progress. We do not think that um, we're done, quote unquote, done with this. Um, it's constantly evolving. But um, but I absolutely hear you that um, when we think about ourselves as company, it's really important to have consistency so that we can not only attract the right evangelists for our brand, but we can rope them in and get the, and turn them in, in, into activators, people who are going to get out there and support us um, in the way that we need them to support us so that we can grow not only the pace we want to, but grow faster than, you know, other folks that are out there. Because at the end of the day, we are, again, we are a business. We do need to grow quickly. You need to make a ton of money and, and so on and so forth. And that really comes with um, knowing who we are and, more importantly, knowing who we're not. Yeah, and Roshnag, your company as a whole is really positioned nicely to, you know, in the market to really be able to find both people, users, companies, and investors who can really get behind this really important mission. And for you, <laughs> yeah, as somebody who has decided to devote your work and your expertise to helping people improve their habits and improve their lives. Um, that's really powerful. So we really want to thank you today for being on the show with us. And if you would like to invite people to learn more, tell, tell them about your, your URL and where they can find you and what you would want them to do. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was um, such a, a joy to share, um, share our story. I find me these things very cathartic and exciting um, because as a founder, um, I know that I probably made a ton of mistakes that I would love other people to learn from. So thanks for the opportunity um, uh, for coming on the show. And then if folks are interested in learning more about us, you can go to thefoodstand.com. 
Uh, if you're interested in our team program for workplaces and schools, you can go to thefoodstand.com slash team, T-E-A-M-S. Or if you want to just take a look at the free version of our app for individuals, you can go to the iTunes or Google Play Store, type in the word foodstand, F-O-O-D-S-T-A-N-D, and you'll find our app. Wonderful. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you our guest expert today is Cesare Assad. Cesare is the program director for Food System 6, a nonprofit accelerator that supports the world's most promising entrepreneurs who are transforming how we grow, produce, and distribute food. Cesare has been leading health-promoting food business innovation and driving progress around food systems change for over 15 years. Her food industry expertise spans the hospitality, nonprofit, and Fortune 500 sectors with experience across a wide range of operational roles, including, but not limited to, executive chef, general manager, program director, and COO. Prior to joining Food System 6, Cesare launched back-to-back startup concepts for Whole Foods Market, co-founded the Cleaver Group, a food environment design consultancy, and led the food service best practice certification program at Eat Real. Her experience is enhanced by certifications in personal training, nutrition, and facilitative leadership providing her with a uniquely practical perspective on the dynamics of leading and motivating groups, activating relationships, and implementing new ideas. Cesare's mission is to enable relationships within the food system that can make helpful food readily accessible to all. Cesare, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you've had a chance to listen to Roshna describe Foodstand and their current positioning in the market. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the food company space? How are other founders talking about their mission? And what's the manner of their messaging? Absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question to start with. And, you know, I think it's important to first talk just briefly about how vast the food company space is. Um, you know, we're really talking about product companies, lifestyle and wellness brands, supply chain and ingredient companies, producers, agrochemicals, marketing, technology. Um, I think you get what I'm saying, which mm-hmm. is that this is a really complicated space, and founders are talking differently about their mission, uh, really depending on where they are in this complex system. Um, now, where I spend most of my time is really at the intersection of food companies working from a holistic systems perspective who are innovating towards an impact outcome like social, environmental, or physical health, just like food stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see founders here adopting storytelling more and more as a critical path to effectively communicate about the work. And I know you all spoke about that, and I agree that authentic story is one of the most powerful tools available to founders who are competing against some of the aforementioned larger marketing budgets um, and, frankly, a lot of noise in the marketplace. So I really see the ability to adopt um, and communicate values, purpose, and authenticity as a way uh, to really, you know, stand out and speak to the mission that has a really strong uh, backbone. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, you know, this space is, as you said, vast and growing, expanding. I, I had not heard agrochemicals before, so thank you for pointing that out uh, to us. Now, one, one question that we have, and you know, Roshan brought this up in conversation, are all food companies part of the public health sector? <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you asked that question. And, and to be honest, if I think about it too long, it becomes a really uh, puzzling exploration. Uh, but for the sake of time, I would say yes. Um, and food companies are not just part of public health, but they're also part of environmental sustainability and social health, too. Um, And this really mirrors the need for all companies to consider the larger implications of their products and services. Um, The the links between food, environment, and health are inextricable, and therefore, you know, the the relationship to the the economy are simply undeniable. Yeah, and, you know, Roshna talked about that kind of unique intersection between food, environment, health, and she added culture on, I think, to, uh, you know, where food stand is positioned. Uh, so you had a chance to listen to her. What do you see as a challenge for companies like Foodstand and their unique positioning in the market? Well, I think there are a few challenges to note here. Um, you know, a company like Foodstand has to perform a lot of business activities to be successful. Um, at their size, at their stage, it's always challenging to decide which activities to prioritize. 
Um, I've been there, and it's it's hard to be an expert in the digital behavior side, you know, while running a sales team, managing partnerships, fundraising, of course, which I'll touch on more, providing customer support, and all of this while iterating the product to satisfy existing users, and you know, specifically with Foodstand, with Foodstand, to continue building that community-based culture, which is what they're really um, focused on doing. I think so. That's sort of one challenge is just pointing out that this is. This is a complex business to run, um, and as it relates to funding specifically, um, it's hard to find aligned capital because the food system is more complex, and entrepreneurs are typically attracted to VC because it seems like what they need, um, but when you start peeling back the layers, that might not actually be the case. So I think you know the, the challenges here are, are numerous, but they're really focusing on how do you really prioritize what you do while you're trying to, to get the funding you need to continue doing that um, and recognizing that, you know, the, the traditional paths to capital are probably not the ones that are going to be the right fit. So we appreciate that. Uh, so Roshna talked a lot about the business being a behavior change company. Uh, do you believe that stance makes food stands stand out from other food companies? And how does her data and the data that they're collecting play in the investment growth space? Yeah, thank you. Those are those are both great questions. So let me see if I can uh, see if I can try to answer those. So I think behavior change is an underlying design mechanism has become a pretty standard requirement, um, especially and specifically in the sort of health and wellness food space. Um, I don't think that all companies say this explicitly, and certainly not all companies can prove that their solution actually changes behaviors over the long term. Uh, so I think that's actually the key differentiator for Foodstand to dig in on. Um, and, and, you know, you all talked about this quite a bit uh, in terms of what they've seen with their users. Uh, they've really been able to iterate the product to create more stickiness uh, with their users. And in this process, I think they've really identified some unique mar- market opportunities. Um, and you talked about this before, but the proof is <laughs> the proof is really in the proverbial pudding um, Foodstand has real stories of changing real lives, and to me, that's what makes the company stand out. So I would say going back to, you know, their stance of the behavior change is somewhat of a differentiator, but really what makes them stand out is the fact that they can actually show that they're making an impact based on what their mission is. Um, and in regards to the data play, <laughs> I think there are huge opportunities for bringing data and information technology to food and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this really isn't simple. There's there's a good reason that most business sec- most other business sectors have already been transformed mm-hmm. by data. Businesses that are built on biological systems cannot be transformed in the same way that those have, which is what we're talking about. Um, so this is a really big conversation, but food, ag, medicine, and education are, are good examples of businesses that require new tools and new methodologies if you want to see transformation that's driven by data and information. And you you supported startup concepts with Whole Foods. And so we mentioned um, agriculture, food, health, environment, education, health and wellness, right? So there's all of those things kind of rolling up into uh, transformation and, and culture and approach. What recommendations would you have for food stand around uh, partnerships or how they can connect with other companies whether large or small yeah i think that's a i'm glad you brought that up because um, i've been thinking of quite a bit about that and you know i think the partnership piece is what i was really wanting to talk about here is that um i think it's a really effective strategy in this particular space um but specifically looking at the complements between analog solutions and the digital partnership that, or the digital solution that, you know, Foodstand has as a really strong business backbone. Um, there are interesting companies out there, both for-profit and non-profit, but I would say more so on the non-profit side, uh, that have developed successful behavior change programs. Um, one of our portfolio companies, Grocery Ships, um, is a good example of that. And so I think about you know, how can Foodstand complement a direct service model and vice versa? Um, I think that the lasting behavior change can really be realized with a multi-engagement approach. Um, Foodstand provides a unique opportunity to scale certain stages of behavior change, um, specifically maintenance, 
and that helps people stick to new habits. So I think you know the right types of partners can enable food skin to focus in and hone in on what they do better than anyone else um, without overextending the company. So I would say to look for those, you know, those niche markets where there are people who have, like I said, the analog solutions, um, you know, they're harder, they're more expensive to operate, and how can FoodStand come in there um, and be a partner to those solutions so that it can really start to bring um, the kind of scale that makes uh, the really difficult task of behavior change a little bit easier over the long run. Tessarit, tell us about investors that are in this space, right? People that are um, kind of investing in companies that are trying to be change makers in the, you know, food and education and, in this case, behavior change space um, that she is really consciously talking about. Um, you had talked about that perhaps, you know, the non-traditional paths to capital might be right for her to explore. But who, who are these investors that are attracted to these types of companies? <laughs> yes, thank you. Now, I, I think the answer to this question is the golden ticket. <laughs> um, but I've, you know, I've been hearing a lot lately, and this, is, this isn't necessarily helpful, and I'll drill in a little bit more, but I'm sure you've heard this as well. Um, you know, when you know one investor, you know one investor. Uh, and I think that that's really true. Um, and there are a lot of interesting opportunities for companies like Foodstand food stand to experiment with specific audiences. Um, there's MDs, there's social clubs, and as you all already mentioned and talked about, a lot of angel investors, um, family offices, and impact investors who are interested in generating a social and environmental return alongside a financial one. Um, but this is a relatively new industry that's still defining itself. Uh, it can be hard to figure out how to navigate something outside of a traditional VC. And, I mean, you know, not to shamelessly plug ourselves, but this is why FS6 exists, which is just in part to help make that process a little less opaque. Um, it can be hard to find aligned capital because I, I really think in this space in particular, the food system is just more complex. So understanding food solutions is a harder journey for investors. Um, I think philanthropy is an interesting place for solutions that are addressing behavioral economics, um, especially via digital tools. Um, because of the success of the tech industry, I think there are a lot more philanthropists with a more lean and agile investing mentality than you know what we typically find in traditional philanthropy. Um, they recognize that for-profits are likely better equipped to develop maintain and improve digital tools. Um, and so they see that, you know, there's opportunities that could support some of their other um, mission initiatives by working with um, some of these for-profit digital tools who are trying to, to directly impact the public health space. Um, and, and clearly there's a lot to unpack here, but I think it's really about finding niche investors who, quite frankly, take a systems view approach things differently, um, and the suggestions that I have are always, you know, look in unique places, and to not be afraid to ask investors who may have turned the deal down in the past, but understand and align with the objectives and mission, um, even going back to those folks, really anyone that, that has had a promising conversation, you know, oftentimes they're willing to help. It just may not be in alignment with their portfolio and investment thesis, but, you know, more and more as as folks are getting into thinking about um, their impact investments, uh, they're trying to find other people who they can, you know, bat ideas around with. And so I think that investors are starting to, to sort of come together and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm looking for. So if you find anyone here, uh, let me know. So I think it's always a good idea to go back to people that have said no mm -hmm. um, and just see if they can help. I think those are all great, great points. Are there other strategies you would recommend for food stand to get buy-in from potential stakeholders? You mentioned going back to folks who may have said no. You've also mentioned some interesting uh, changes in the landscape coming up. And so I also want to see if you can add anything that you're super excited about um, in the marketplace that food stand should consider, especially when getting buy-in from potential stakeholders. Yeah, I mean... I think, again, like this is about really drilling into who are the specific stakeholders 
um, what are they thinking about? What do they care about? Um, and what does really what does food fam want and need from them? And there are so many different stakeholders. I think in um, you know Rocha's done a great job of of laying those out, um, and it speaks to I think just the complexity of something that's really meant to be that's really drilled down to be a very simple tool right. um, is that she can address and meet the needs of a lot of different folks. So from a strategy perspective, I think it's actually really important to take a step back and say, who are all the stakeholders and really get a clear mapping of them to understand what are the different pathways, what are the different strategies and opportunities um, that could help to not meet you know, their needs, um, and additionally find where are their sort of co-mingled opportunities amongst those stakeholder groups that make the most sense to go after. Um, I know that's not a, that's not necessarily a direct, they should try this, but I just think that process of stakeholder mapping, Mm -hmm. um, especially revisiting it over time, um, can really help to yield some interesting outcomes and new pathways that maybe haven't been thought of before. These are all great, great ideas and things for Rasha to consider, and particularly as FoodSan goes forward. How can people find you? Like, where can people follow you, or what's the best way to to get in touch? (laughs) Well, I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs. Um, It is uh, being an entrepreneur and (laughs) hearing so much about the space. um, You know, they can always reach out to us um, through Food System 6 at at www.foodsystem6.org, um, they'll they'll find a way to, to email us through that through that link. Um, you know, we are out and about in the communities that uh, we serve often. But the best way to reach us is, you know, shoot us an email, and we're happy to. I'm always happy to get on the phone and have a conversation. Um, you know, this is this is really hard work. Um, you know, I certainly applaud Foodstand and Rasha. She she stuck the course and. You know, entrepreneurs in this space really need uh, all the help that they can get to navigate the complications, especially around uh, the capital landscape, which you all have done a great job of creating a space to serve that. So, you know, reach out to us at foodsystem6.org, and, and that's, we'll be in touch, and um, we'll, we'll get on the phone and help, help any of the companies out there that we can to, to navigate this as well. Wonderful. Well, I'm sure people will take you up on that. <laughs> well, I hope I, I doubt I'll regret that, but um, we really need it. It's, like you all, you know, we just we just genuinely believe in in the power of identifying and supporting um, entrepreneurs who are really working to change this landscape, and especially those that don't typically have access to uh, the marketplace, because we believe that diverse solutions are critical and time for us to really open up the kimono, if you will, and find ways that we can bring education um, more broadly to both the investor community and to the entrepreneurs who are working so hard to, to change the world. Yeah. And building those social networks, that's really critical, too, um, for, for the companies that we're serving. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, good. Well, we learned a lot today. We talked with Rasta at Food Stand about her public health technology company or public health tech company. And she sees herself as a digital health change behavior company. So lots of things to be thinking about. We talked about digital behavior change and how that is working and in particular how FoodStand has been doing that and how it has been successfully um, impacting her different um, stakeholders. We've talked a little bit about her um, pathway to growth, how she kind of got where she's at, and then what has really kind of been part of her personal story. And then we talked a little bit about how to get in front of these different audiences that she has and how to message that, right, with both her clients and um, also potential investors. I think part of what Roshna really has is a really interesting um, cadre of stories from people that have used her product and that have really seen real change. So that's really important. She's got good data and results, which as Cesare pointed out, 
is really helps food stand stand out and is something that really differentiates her her company from other from other companies that are out there. Really important to get buy-in, and we've talked about kind of what that looks like when we're building credibility and figuring out what that might what that might um, end up looking like. We always talk about partnerships, and Cesare has been gracious enough to kind of um, really give her input and her expertise in this food sector that is a holistic sector with a lot of different interest groups and impact as well. So we've got food and agriculture and medicine and education as industries that are kind of surrounding and feeding into and also really ripe for change in these different sectors. Um, and then Tesra also gave us some different ideas for Food Stand with regard to how she might position herself, how she might tell her story, and how she might work on that messaging. So really excited to have this conversation with our show today, and I hope you will all join us for all of our episodes. Find out more about us at getfoundgetfunded.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and don't miss an episode. <laughs>